I want to talk to you about Galatians chapter 6. Take your Bibles or your whatever you're using anymore. Does anybody use their Bible anymore? Yes, they do. Galatians chapter 6. As a young pastor, I was hoping that I never had to never had to use this passage. The title of the, of the sermon tonight is How to Deal with Casualties. The Bible gives, uh, like I said before, the Bible gives the answer for anything you need to know that's pertinent to know. The Bible gives you the answer for it. And oh, by the way, before I forget it, on the way out, if you'd like to give a love offering to Dr. Ann Livingston for just the work she's done for God, we like to treat people good when they come to gospel. I just wanted to tell you the love offering for the meeting we had with Grady McMurtry and the Calvary Quartet was about $9,200, tremendous offering, which we have just voted a deacon board to split 50-50. So 50% of that will go to the uh, Calvary Quartet, 50% will go to Dr. Grady McMurtry for his work. I am purchasing, he has 21, he has 27 lectures. Like that's what you heard up here, 27 lectures with, with a PowerPoint program. He had them in, in sticks. I bought all 27 of them for the church, and we will have them for sale. If you would like to look at the titles of his 27 lectures, you can, you can once we get them in. He's sending them to me Monday, and I should have them by Wednesday or so. Maybe, wait a minute, let me take that back. United States Post Office, I'll have them by next Monday, uh, maybe. And so we'll have them for you in the library to purchase. If you'd like to purchase one of his lectures, what the deal would be, Grandpa, Grandma, purchase it, look at it, send it to your child, and threaten them that you take them out of the will if they don't listen to it. You got, you got leverage. Use it. And uh, you say, hey, we want, you to, we want you to look at this, and so hopefully they will. And then if then they could have maybe have their children look at it. So who knows where that thing could go? They could give it away. It's a stick. You can just give it away easily to people. They can put it in their cars. Listen to it as you go down the road. You won't be able to get the, won't be able to get the uh, PowerPoint in your car as you're driving along, but whatever. So Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye would are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and also fulfill the law of Christ. If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. <laughs> Bible's so sweet. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Now that looks like a contradiction there, um, but it is not. And from verse, chat, verse 2 to verse 5, I'll try to explain that as we go. How do you learn? How do you learn how to speak? You learn it from the Bible. How do you learn how to teach? You learn it from the Bible. How do you learn how to write? You learn it from the Bible. Just follow the example of the folks who wrote in the scriptures. The example of Apostle Paul is amazing. Apostle, all, Apostle Paul always presents his argument, presents the details of his argument. We call it doctrine or teaching. And then at the end of his epistle, he applies it. Well, that makes sense. When you're, well, you men, when you're trying to convince your wife of something, 
it'd be best if you presented all the reasons why it was good to do or the right thing to do, and then at the end say, now do it. Okay, and so it's a rough crowd tonight. But that's what Paul did. He would spend, uh, in some cases, uh, two-thirds of a book, maybe even more, in proving his point, what, what he was te- teaching, doctrine, and at the end he'd say, now here's why you should do that, and here's how you should do that. The book of Galatians is a, a fabulous example of that. We have salvation by grace in chapter 1 and 2. We have bondage of the law in chapter 3 and 4, and then the application in 5 and 6, the liberty of sons. Now, because we're not under the law anymore, and because we have grace, which he taught in the first four chapters, now you have liberty. Of course, you don't use this liberty for your for a, a excuse to sin. Nobody that does that is right with God. Nobody that does that is even close to understanding the grace of God. Uh, he gives a reason for writing the book of Galatians. is to combat a rebellious Jews called Judaizers who would not accept the salvation of Jesus Christ as a free gift. They were under the law, the law of Moses. They revered Moses to the place where he they almost brought him up to God-likeness and used him uh, even over to the place of perverting what he said to contradict the things that God wanted. And so they did not accept the freedom, the free gift of, G- of salvation in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit, is, as it says in Romans chapter one, Romans chapter eight, verse one through four, is the Holy Spirit's power gives us the ability to fulfill the law. You cannot fulfill the law by human will. It makes that clear, so clear. I've taught through this book a couple of times. Paul writes a treatise, really, on the liberty of the sons of God in the book of Galatians, and what it means to be a son of God, a child of God, and the comparison of the two covenants, the covenant of law and the covenant of grace. The covenant of law, do this and you live. The covenant of grace is believe and live. Which do you want to do? Well, I always take the believe and live over the do because how many people have fulfilled the law perfectly? Because if you if you break the law in one point, you're, you're guilty of all the Bible says. James chapter 2, I believe it's verse 10. Break the law in one point, you're guilty of all. So, that's pretty tough, pretty tough standard. In fact, really, the law was brought along to show us that we needed the grace of God because you were no way in the world going to be able to keep the law by the will of, by your strong will or by your discipline or by your good habits or any of that. We we're going to keep the law of God. It was not possible to keep the law. It was a schoolmaster, a teacher, to bring us to the point where we realized we could not keep the law. We were sinners beyond repair. And we needed the grace of God. Have you come to that point in your life where you just say, I cannot do this. It's impossible. I need God. You fall on the mercy of God, shed and demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. If you want to see the love of God, you look at Calvary. You see what he did for us at Calvary, how he loved you while you were a sinner. Christ died for us. It's beautiful. There are three major contrasts in this book. Between grace and law, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ, Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I try to tell Seventh-day Adventists that. 
I've talked with a number of Seventh-day Adventists, and they just, they just they look at you with this confused look. There's not a better place in the Bible than in chapter 2, verse 16. It states that you cannot please God in the flesh. You cannot please God by the will of the flesh or by, or by any of that. You must receive his grace and be born from above, receive the Holy Spirit of God, which is the power of God that will help you fulfill the law of God, which only he could help us to do through love. What well, it compares in this justification, uh, this grace against law, in chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Christ has become no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. How many times I go door to door and ask people, if you die today, where would you go? Heaven or hell? I can't. I, I'm amazed. How many people say heaven? I'm amazed. I say, well, a simple question follow up is why would you go? Well, I've tried to do this. I've tried to get good works. Good works. Tried to be nice to people. Oh, you tried to be nice to people. Also, you're being real easy on yourself, aren't you? You're not going to tell the secret things that are hideous that you've thought. And the secret things that are hideous that you've said when no one else could hear it. However, the idle word a man spoke will be given account of in that day. By your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. There'll not be a word that you're not going to be accountable for, and the ones that were spoken in the closet will be shouted from the housetops, Jesus said. Well, pretty soon you find out I'm condemned, a sinner unable to save myself by any amount of good works, and you flee to Calvary, brother. Flee to Calvary. So he, he shows the, the difference between, the contrast between grace and law. And then he shows the contrast between faith and works. Now, who's he dealing with? He's dealing with, with mostly Jews. When, when Paul did his ministry, his first part of his, I know he was sent to the Gentiles. Ultimately, he was sent to the Gentiles. But his first ministry would go, he'd go into a city, and where would he go? He'd go to the synagogue. He'd go to his brothers in the faith, people who knew the Old Testament, people who accepted the Old Testament as the Word of God, 39 books of the Old Testament, the law of Moses as truth. And he began to preach Christ. He preached by faith, you're saved, not by works. Now, this is kind of who the mindset is. These Judaizers came in to the early church. Now, now I'll say this, most of the Jews did not believe they throw him out, beat him. Most of his beatings, not all of them, but many of his beatings were due to the Jews, supposedly his brothers. They thought he was a heretic. They, should, they thought he should die for what he said, turning people away from the law of Moses. But he was turning them to Jesus Christ, the epitome, the fulfillment of the law of Moses. So he, he compares grace alongside law, he compares faith alongside works. In Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There's no, as the Seventh-day Adventist would want to say, which was, by the way, a modern-day Judaizer, trying to mix the law and grace together. You can't do it. They do not mix together. Galatians 3.11 says that no man is justified by the law on the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now, I've sat with an, with an evangelist, a very knowledgeable man of the, of the Bible, an evangelist with Seventh-day Adventists. And we sat there as I installed carpet into his motorhome. For about five hours, as I worked, he tried to convince me that he was saved by grace, but we, because we're saved by grace, we've got to keep the law of Moses. 
trying to mix that together. And I thought to myself, the Judaizers are alive and well. And that was about in the 1970s. They're alive and well in the 70s. People still trying to, trying to mix it. You can't, the law was to bring you to Christ, brother. It's over. And if, if the covenant of the law had been sufficient, there would not have been another covenant. That's the argumentation of the writer of the book of Hebrews. We see he also contrasts liberty and license. In Galatians 5.1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again into the yoke of bondage, the law. In verse 13, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty, only, not, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. What's the fulfilling of the law? The Bible says it's as clear as crystal. Love. Deuteronomy chapter, I believe it is chapter 6, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Love the Lord thy God with all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. And maybe there's another term in there. I may have missed one. But basically give everything to God. You got it by love. The second commandment is like the first, to love thy neighbor as thyself. The fulfilling of the law mentioned in Romans is by love. What kind of love? The only kind of love that God himself has to give you by faith in Jesus Christ. You can't manufacture this love. You can't work this love up. You can't earn this love. You get this love from God in the Holy Spirit or by the Holy Spirit through simple childlike faith in the finished work of Christ, repentance and faith. Just like Jesus said, except you repent, you all likewise perish. You repent of your sins, trust Christ as your Savior, and lean on him only for your salvation. And then... You get the love of God. The love of God's dwelling in you, never to leave you. John chapter 14, verse 16, the Holy Spirit's never going to leave you. So now he's allowing you and gives you power to do the will of God and fulfill the law, as it were. So let's do a little bit of exposition of this passage of 1 through 5, uh, verse by verse, as it were. If you have your book with you, you can look at this. This is an expositional message tonight. I preach all kinds of ways, by the way. I preach topical, expositional, character, book preaching. I do all kinds of different ways. I try to mix it up, keep it fresh. I do not want you to become the church and be able to guess what I'm going to do. One of my goals as a preacher, I do not want you to be able to guess what I'm going to do. Now, some of you mature enough in Christ, when I mention Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5, you already know what I'm going to do. But that's okay. But I, didn't, I don't want you to be able to guess what I'm going to do from week to week to week. That's why you'll not see me do long series. I'm not saying am I against long series. I suppose I'm not against long series, but the fact that I don't do long series means I must be against long series. Do you get the reasoning factor on that? I sat under preachers before that would have a year and a half series in one book, and I would come to church and say, well, I already know what he's going to do tonight. And it kind of took the holy helium out of me. It was like, Ooh. So I just want them to come and say, I have no idea what that crazy man's going to do tonight, but I'm going. <laughs> Verse 1, he lays the ground rules. He says, brethren, and if you've got your Bibles, it'll help you as I go down through this as you're looking at the verse or your phone or whatever you're looking at. Brethren, a man be overtaken in a fall. The word brethren, he's obviously speaking to family, right? He's not talking to unsaved people. The word if can also be translated since. It's an indefinite in the Greek. We all fall into sin time to time, sometimes not sin, but weights that, that keep us 
and, and keep us from prospering in the Lord. The word overtaken uh, in a fault, I looked it up, I mean, it's a side slip to deviate, can be unintentional or intentional, and it's an error, can be willful or not willful, but a fall is sin. It's bad. It's bad. It's not just a small. I get really upset with people when they start, hmm, preacher, maybe you get the same thing. But when people start calling their sin a mistake. Oh man, don't you don't you come around me and call your sin a mistake. You call it what the Bible calls it. Amen. Nothing wrong with that. Don't have to make it worse than it was, but you ought to call it what the Bible says. When people commit adultery, they need to say, I committed adultery, not that I made a mistake. Of course you made a mistake, a real big mistake, but call it what the Bible calls it. You never can go wrong with that. Otherwise, our pride wants to diminish how bad it was, and this is what the homosexuals are doing by calling homosexuality and sodomy, they're calling it gay. Gay is a beautiful word. It means to be happy. And, the, and one thing, I've been around enough homosexuals to tell you, homosexuals are the most unhappy, vicious group I've ever known. And I've had some experience with them. So, you say, preach like that, and they're never going to get saved. They're never going to get saved unless they repent. And until you come to look at your sin like God looks at it, you're never going to get saved. So, patty cake, patty cake baker's man is not going to help homosexual. They need to know that what they're doing is an abomination to God Almighty. That's Bible. And I can't go wrong with preaching the Bible. And I'm getting too old to preach this hard. But it's true. It says, you that are spiritual. So, brethren, that's family. If can mean also since. A man's numbers, it doesn't happen just once in a while. It happens. A man's overtaken in a, in a sin, a transgression. Could be willful or not. You that are spiritual. The word spiritual is a person being led by the spirit, not the flesh. Someone who has a spiritual sense and biblical foundation. It means to be mature. Mature. An immature person will either underjudge or overjudge. This way, he'll be self-righteous, so he'll overjudge. It's been said fundamentalists tend to kill their wounded. This passage is dealing with a person that's a brother that has fallen into sin that is, that is, is wounded badly. It says, you that are mature, you that are led by the Spirit, you that have some time under your belt and walking with God need to judge this. The immature people do not need to be judging this. The, the, the uh, over, over right self-righteous person will overjudge. The under-self-righteous will underjudge. They'll either be too easy on them or too wrong. I talked to Jim Benny when we had some problems here at the church with one of our brothers fallen, and, and, and I call him up and he said, Preacher, I don't know if you know Jim Benny. He's a phenomenal counselor for just saved people, just born-again, full-time Christian ministry folks. And he said, Preacher, after I explained what happened, he said, I'm going to tell you something from all my years of experience. You're going to get shot from both sides. I thought, what do you mean? He said, you're going to get shot from the front and from the back. And he explained to me, you're going to get shot by your critical people, by your self-righteous people. They're not going to think you judged him hard enough. And he said, you're going to get shot by your, your immature people. 
who are going to go easy on them and easy on themselves and easy on the person that did this, and they're going to say, you judge too harshly. And man, if Jim, if he was looking at this, you, you, it was, he was a prophet. It was a word of knowledge. I mean, I got shot from both sides. I had people come and tell me so, that, I, that I just overjudged and I underjudged. How do you do both at the same time? Well, it says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, you which are mature, spiritual, what do you do? You restore. What the word restore means? To put back in the joint. It doesn't mean kill. It means put back in the joint. But it also doesn't mean go over to sin like it didn't happen. It means it doesn't mean to put it under the rug. One of the biggest troubles of churches will do, they'll have, a, they'll have a sin in their midst of one of their leadership, one of their deacons, one of their trustees, or somebody that's a core member of the church, uh, a brother in the church, a sister in the church, and they'll try to keep the lid on it. And the lid's already out. Brother, you only have to tell two people in this room, it'll be all over. I'm sorry, but our government can't keep secrets that, that our national defense depends on. They can't even keep secrets. How much can you keep secret? You're not able to keep, people don't keep secrets. You may think it's secret, it's not secret. Once it's done in public, let me say this. If once you commit sin outside of yourself with another person, it's no longer a secret. Because now you've just made it to that other person and that other person will tell people, now I'm gonna tell you something in confidence, but don't repeat this. How many times have you heard that? I'm going to share this with you, brothers, so you can pray. I'm going to share this with you. This is confidential, highly confidential, but I'm going to share this with you so you can pray because I want you to be in the loop on this. Oh, hogwash. You know what's going on. Brother, neither are taken into fault, which are you that's for spiritual maturity. Restore such a one. Put him back in the joint. Uh, rebuke the sin. Call it what it is. I think if you, if you want to please God, you just got to tell people the Bible. I'm just simple enough to stick with the book. If the book calls something wrong, I'm responsible to stick with the book and call it wrong. No bigger, no less, but it's wrong. If the individual is being willing to repent of that, and by the way, you want to really beat the devil when you do something wrong, publicly confess it. Oh, man, is this unpopular. But if you want to beat the devil, I mean, you want to beat him. You want to, you want to get him off of you. You take what you've done, and you repent of it privately, and you get out before a group of people, and you say, I want, brethren, please, please have mercy on me. I committed this. Particular, don't, go, don't go into detail. Don't describe it. But I've, I've committed this sin. Would you, would, would you help me? Would you pray for me? Would you? And man, the devil, he can't gossip about you anymore. He can't tell anybody. He can't make it a super secret because it's all, you just took it out and put it out in the light. And when you put something in the light, the light kills the bacteria. I'm not going to tell you it's not painful. My wife and I did this. I've, I've done what I'm talking to you about. I have com I committed a real transgression as a young man, committed an uh, immorality. And I got before Grace Bible Church and I got before I said to the preacher, I want to tell, I want to confess this thing and get this thing over with. I don't want people gossiping about me two years from now, you know, that don't know about it, going out in the chain of everything. So I just got in front of the whole church, Grace Bible Church in Elkhart, Indiana, and I said to people, I've committed fornication as a young man. I've done wrong. 
it's sin. Would you forgive me? You, did they reject me? They did not reject me. They came up putting their arms around me, hugging me, crying on me, saying, preacher, we're for, he wouldn't call me preacher. But I can say why I'm probably a preacher today is part of the reason that that happened. Be honest about it. The Bible says when the people wanted to be baptized of John, they went down to the river confessing their sins. That was not private. That was a public thing. They got out there and publicly confessed their sin. Oh, the Pharisees, they wouldn't confess their sin, and, and, then, and John wouldn't baptize them. That's why Jesus could tell the Pharisees, they said, where, where do you get your authority? He says, well, let me ask you a question, and if you answer this question, I'll tell you what the Well, John the Baptist, from heaven or from earth? Well, they couldn't tell because they knew if they said either way, they would be either, they didn't, they didn't believe John the Baptist, and, re, and John the Baptist rejected them, and he reject, they rejected him, and the people considered him a prophet, so they couldn't say he wasn't a prophet because they'd get stoned, and so they said, well, we don't know, and Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you where my authority comes from either. Ooh, I like that. I like that. The word says, uh, it says, restore such one in a spirit of meekness. What's that whole meekness thing about? Well, it's been said meekness is a controlled power. What do I mean by that? It's tactful. Jesus was meek. Now, he had power. He, could, he spoke into existence everything that exists. Every time he told a deacon, demon, I'm not, excuse me, that was a mistake. A <laughs> demon. It was a slip of the tongue. He told a de- it, when he told the demon to get out, the, there was no argument. They left. He had power over it. When he told peace be still, there was no argument. It got calm. When he told the dead to raise, there was no argument. They raised because he made everything. He had power. But he was tactful. He was gentle. He had a spirit of humility. That's meekness. Controlled, not arrogant, but controlled power. And he says to us in this passage, you that are mature, you that are spiritual, heal this one with the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, thus thou also be tempted. How many times when we judge, we don't realize our own faults, our own troubles. Now, just because you've, see, you've committed that same sin and you've repented of it and gotten right with it and you're judging that person that has come under this fault, possibly with the same sin that you got had trouble with, that should temper your judgment. should temper it. And not so that you don't overkill or underkill. You just want to do enough to represent the Bible correctly, to please God, and to let the people know sin is not something that is good to do, it's bad to do, and it has consequences, but you don't get killed 
when you sin, there'd be nobody in this room. God restores you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to bring you back. The goal for the people that, I, that we've had to do here, we've had five or six people in through the 44 years of gospel that we've had to exercise this passage on. And, and in every one, of those, every one of those cases, our goal was to make sure the person could get back in good standing with God, get back in good standing with a local church, get back in good standing with the work of God so that they wouldn't not would quit working for the Word of God, but they would be able to continue on to work with the Word of God, but tempered because of the trouble. It now tempers them and makes them a better judge. You know we're going to be judged by the same degree that you judge. A mature person thinks about that. A mature person thinks about James chapter 2, verse 13, where it says, for he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. It doesn't bypass judgment, but it doesn't overjudge either. There are consequences for sin. You know that. You go out here and speed, and Chad stops you, and you try to tell him I'm a member of Gospel Baptist Church, you give him a $100 bill accidentally, you're going to end up in a slammer, getting your fingerprints all done, getting your mug shot. By the way, when you get your mug shot, smile. Oh, they actually won't let you smile. How do I know that? <laughs> I spent a lot of time in jail visiting people. And when I went to Lee County Jail to get my pass, they make me do a mug shot, just like they do the prisoners, frontward. Sideways, get your height, the whole bit. I tried to smile. He said, no smile. No, no smile. I said, oh, no smile. <laughs> Matthew 7, 1 and 2 says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, you shall be meted to you again. Basically, you set your own standard of judgment. To what, de what degree you judge or overjudge, you're going to be overjudged, or what degree you underjudge. And by the way, being underjudged is horrible. If you don't learn that there's a horrific penalty for sin, you may do it again. You with me by that? Underjudgment. I'm glad my mom and dad spanked me. I'm glad my mom and dad, when I lied, I mean, they whipped me like they were trying to kill me. My mother used to say, I will not have a child that's a liar. I will take you out before that. My own mother said that. <laughs> Consequently, I've not had a bad problem with lying. I am a fisherman. <laughs> Verse 2, this is where we're getting to that. It says, Bury one another's burdens. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, that's the law of love. So in, in restoring this person to where they ought to be, you bear their burdens. The burden there is the word in Greek, baris, or often pronounced, I think, baris. It means something too heavy to bear. It's, it's, it's something too heavy for him to bear. 
I'm going to get my outline all fixed around here so I can have my three pages here. If you know how complicated this was, he says to bear one another's burdens that are too heavy to bear. So this person is being judged. This person has fallen off into sin. We had a deacon one time get drunk, go down to the tire store, which happened to be owned by one of our members, and, and try to get his car fixed. Well, he's talking like this. He said, I want to get my car. I, so the member, God bless his soul, calls me up and says, such and such, one of the deacons at our church, is drunk, inebriated. I said, oh, no, tell me it ain't so. He went out publicly? That means you don't even care. The punishment, you've gotten, you've gotten deceived by God, you've gotten deceived by the devil so badly that you don't even think there's any punishment for that. We had to bring him before the deacon board and say, man, you know, public drunken, drunken, you're not even supposed to be drinking, there you are being drunken publicly. And so we did what this passage said to do. We, he repented of it. He said, may I go before the whole church and repent? And I thought, as soon as he said that, I said, God's here. He said, I'm going to get before because I'm a deacon and I've been entrusted with being a deacon by the church. It would only be right if I told the church what I did was wrong. I said, well, absolutely, you can do that. So he got before the whole church, and I love the guy, man. I love the guy. And he got there and said, you know, I, I, you gave me an entrustment of being a deacon, and I violated your entrustment. I violated God's entrustment. And would you please forgive me for, for drinking? I've got a real problem with alcohol. And man, did, the, did he lower his view? Did, did he lower our view of him, or did he raise our view of him? He raised our view of him. He was an old Philadelphia policeman, by the way. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Philadelphia policeman. We tried to exercise this. We tried to bear his burden, the burden of being an alcoholic, something too heavy for him to bear, and he struggled with it. And so, anyway, so the burden bear us. Some examples of this use in the Bible of a burden too heavy to bear is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I said weight of glory. The word weight there is bear us or bar us. By the end of the sermon, I'll get that right. Now, I, I like the meaning of that weight there, don't you? That we have a weight of glory waiting for us that it's too heavy to bear. You all get happy about that. If this is a black church, they'd be up walking around saying, glory to God, hallelujah, shake my hand, woo! You white folks are tough to preach to, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so conserved, so state. But you're going to lose that someday. <laughs> Well, anyway, another place that's used, 1 Thessalonians 2, 3, 2, 6, nor of men sought we glory, neither of yet or we of others, or we might have been burdensome of the apostles of Christ. Paul says, we worked and earned our own living with our own hands because we didn't want to be a burden too heavy to bear upon you guys to try to financially help us. First, in verse 7, but we were gentle among you, even as nurse cherisheth her children. So that's two, that's three uses of the word of bear us, which is a, a burden too heavy to bear. So he says, 
bear, he commands us, bear one another's burdens. If somebody gets in the hole, I like Brother Morris to always say, we need to help our own. That's what he means by that. We need to bear each other's burdens when you get in a spot. You need the local church someday. Oh, I hope you don't, but someday I got a feeling you're going to need the local church. And you're a good member in good standing in the local church doing right. The local church will come up under you and bear a burden for you that you cannot bear for yourself. It's Bible. And so fulfill the law of Christ. And look at verses 3 through 5. 3 through 5. For a man think himself to be something. By the way, mature people do not do this. If a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. A mature person in Christ does not have an inordinate idea of who he is or who she is. They know they're a sinner saved by grace. They know that they're an they're, they're a, they're a, uh, object of the grace of God, that they'd go to hell without Jesus. They're not sitting there beating their chest that I made it, others didn't. Well, if you let one Baptist get to heaven without the grace of God, he'd be in heaven bragging how he made it and you didn't. That's not going to happen. Maturity brings humility. But let every man prove his own work. Then he shall have rejoicing in himself alone, not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. The problem is fairly simple, that we have a tendency to think too highly of ourselves, not too lowly. Obviously different from psychology today. Psychology has no help for you. It really has no help for you. Psychology is a, based upon circumstantial psychology, which is based upon you are a product of your circumstances. And if you've read the Bible much at all, you know that the, by the grace of God, you are not a victim but you are a victor in Christ Jesus. God can take you from wherever he finds you and raise you up for, for his cause and for the kingdom of God. You can have all kinds of problems that God can overcome. In fact, he'll use your problems to help you. That's how our God works. Psychology is simply a blame game. They name things. They don't know how to cure them, but they name them. They name this psychosis and all this other stuff. They try to name stuff. Doesn't do a bit of good to name it. You just go around saying, oh, I have a self-image problem. You do. <laughs> the Bible represents us as egotistical by nature. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.29, no man has hated, ever hated his own flesh. The world represents us as, represents us as, as self-hate that must be overcome by self-image enhancers, drugs, like visual, visualizations, positive visualizations, visualiz whatever that word is, visualizations, and self-help books. That's what they can put on you. The answer to the whole thing is a matter of belief. Do you believe the Bible is what it is? You believe when it says that we have trouble with pride, that that's true? And we really are not self-haters. We're self-lovers. People judge too harshly because they're proud and they have no idea how bad they really are. So it says here, prove your own work. We're to prove our own work here in verse 4. The fire of time and testing, failure and defeat will temper you in judging and your capability of judging and 
its correctness. Before this, we're too idealistic and consequently too harsh. It says, bear your own burden. That's a burden that's, and I looked the word up, it means a burden that's, for the word fortion, it means a burden that is meant to be borne. Isn't that beautiful? It looks like a contradiction between verse 2, which says, bear your own, bear, bear one another's burdens, and verse 5, it says, for every man shall bear his own burden. Now, that sounds like a contradiction. It sounds like a one time, it says, bear your burdens, and then it says, another time, don't bear, everybody bear their own burdens. Well, it's using two different words. The first one is bear burdens that are too heavy to bear. Like, like Brother Mike has something too heavy to bear. I have to get up under him and help him bear it. But if you have a burden that's normal and, and natural for a person to have, I'm supposed to let you bear it. My wife and I, is it? I can't believe it's 7.15. Wow. I'm going to tell you this one story and quit. My wife and I were new married. New parents, broke. I was working third shift at the railroad, filthy place to work. Men were filthy. They were viciously filthy. Working third shift in the winter in Indiana. 17 below zero all night long. I'd be working there with that steel, that, that those big old cars and the big old wheels. When they get cold, 17 below zero, they they squeal and 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 cry out and it's like it's like hell's gates have been opened and you get to hear the crying of hell. It's a terrible sound. I mean, it's unbelievable. I was used to. I was so depressed anyway. I was just barely surviving. I was singing all the way to work. I was singing how great thou art. And I'm not all that good a singer, but I was singing how great thou art because I needed God to be great. I was going to work, coming back seven in the morning. My wife was she was struggling being at home by herself. I was also going to Indiana University. I was gone a lot of the time. And I remember she came to me and she says, Bill, and she started wanting to bleed on me. You, you men know what this is. Bleed on you. They want to be able to tell you their troubles and their woes. And I, I Have you ever seen that one talk to the hand? I invented that. I'm like Gore. who invented the internet. I said, stop. I can't take one more burden. I got all the burdens I can take. You have to bear your own burdens. I know you've got burdens. You're here by yourself. You're taking care of a new baby. You're changing the diapers. You're heating, you're heating the milk up. You're doing this. You're, you're melding the bottles on top of the stove. But I can't take it. I am maxed out on my burden. I'm right here. You got to bear your own burden. That's what the Bible means. Everybody's got to bear their own burden. She looked at me and says, listen, I got a statement for you that my mother told me, and I'm going to share it with you. I didn't say this in a mean fashion. I said it's in compassion as I am. I said, honey, sweet thing, gut up and take it. You got to gut up and take it. Cry your eyes out when I'm not around. Do whatever you got to do, but don't make it harder on me than what I is or I'm going to break. And if I break, the whole family is going to break. 
So I'm doing everything I can. I'm crying out to God on the way to work, back and forth to work. I'm doing everything I know to do to be right with God and do right with God. But right now, this is a really hard time of life, and things aren't going well, and this is the time we all got to bear our own burdens. And to this day, she's never let me forget that. Friday, we just had our 53rd anniversary. And I never promised her a rose garden. That's what that means. Once in a while, you got to bear somebody else's burdens when they just can't take it. But most of the time, you got to bear your own burden. You got to gut up and take it. You girls having babies, gut up and take it. Come on. Quit sniveling. Have the baby. Millions and millions and zillions of women have had babies. It's not something new. You're going to be okay. It's going to be tough. It's going to be painful. Let me say it as a doctor would say. It's going to be slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> and you're going to have a baby, and you're going, to, you're going to see more poop than you've seen in years. But it's going to, you're going to get out past that stage, and, you'll, and things are going to get brighter and brighter as you go down the road. Let's read that passage and I'll stop. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, mature, restore such in one a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, thus also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another for every man shall bear his own burden. Father, thank you tonight for the word of God. It helps us, oh my. Guide and direct us. Give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for invitation time, a little short invitation. May God touch your heart. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com. Or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.